0: essays on some unsettled questions of political economy essay 5 part 1 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org essays on some unsettled questions of political economy by john stuart mill essay 5 on the definition of political economy and on the method of investigation proper to it part one it might be imagined on a superficial view of the nature and objects of definition that the definition of a science would occupy the same place in the chronological which it commonly does in the didactic order as a treatise on any science usually commences with an attempt to express in a brief formula what the science is, and wherein it differs from other sciences, so it might be supposed did the framing of such a formula naturally precede the successful cultivation of the science. This, however, is far from having been the case. The definition of a science is almost invariably not preceded, but followed, the creation of the science itself. Like the wall of a city, it has usually been erected, not to be a receptacle for such edifices as might afterwards spring up, but to circumscribe an aggregation already in existence. Mankind did not measure out the ground for intellectual cultivation before they began to plant it. They did not divide the field of human investigation into regular compartments first, and then began to collect truths for the purpose of being therewithin deposited. They proceeded in a less systematic manner. As discoveries were gathered in, either one by one or in groups resulting from the continued prosecution of some uniform course of inquiry the truths which were successively brought into store cohered and became agglomerated according to their individual affinities without any intentional classification the facts classed themselves They became associated in the mind, according to their general and obvious resemblances, and the aggregates thus formed, having to be frequently spoken of as aggregates, came to be denoted by a common name. Any body of truths which had thus acquired a collective denomination was called a science. It was long before this fortuitous classification was felt not to be sufficiently precise. It was in a more advanced stage of the progress of knowledge that mankind became sensible of the advantage of ascertaining whether the facts which they had thus grouped together were distinguished from all other facts by any common properties, and what these were. The first attempts to answer this question were commonly very unskillful, the consequent definitions extremely imperfect, and in truth, there is scarcely any investigation in the whole body of a science requiring so high a degree of analysis and abstraction as the inquiry what the science itself is. In other words, what are the properties common to all the truths composing it and distinguishing them from all other truths? Many persons, accordingly, who are profoundly conversant with the details of a science, would be very much at a loss to supply such a definition of the science itself, as should not be liable to well-grounded logical objections. From this remark, we cannot accept the authors of elementary scientific treatises. The definitions which those works furnished of the sciences, for the most part, either do not fit them, some being too wide, some too narrow, or do not go deep enough into them, but define a science by its accidents not its essentials, by some one of its properties which may, indeed, serve the purpose of a distinguishing mark, but which is of too little importance to have either of itself led mankind to give the science a name and rank as a separate object of study. The definition of a science must indeed be placed among that class of truths which Dugald Stewart had in view when he observed that the first principles of all sciences belong to the philosophy of the human mind the observation is just and the first principles of all sciences including the definitions of them have consequently participated hitherto in the vagueness and uncertainty which has pervaded that most difficult and unsettled of all branches of knowledge if we open any book Even of mathematics or natural philosophy, it is impossible not to be struck with the mistiness of what we find presented as preliminary and fundamental notions, and the very insufficient manner in which the propositions which are palmed upon us as first principles seem to be made out, contrasted with the lucidity of the explanations of the, and the conclusiveness of the proofs as soon as the writer enters upon the details of his subject. Whence comes this anomaly? Why is the admitted uncertainty of the results of those sciences in no way prejudiced by the want of solidity in their premises? How happens it that a firm superstructure has been erected upon an unstable foundation? The solution of the paradox is that what is called first principles are, in truth, last principles instead of being the fixed point from whence the chain of proof which supports all the rest of the science hangs suspended they are themselves the remotest link of the chain though presented as if all other truths were to be deduced from them they are the truths which are last arrived at the result of the last stage of generalization or of the last and subtlest processes of analysis to which the particular truths of the science can be subjected those particular truths having previously been ascertained by the evidence proper to their own nature like other sciences political economy has remained destitute of a definition framed on strictly logical principles or even of what is more easily to be had a definition exactly coextensive with the thing defined this has not perhaps caused the real bounds of the science to be, in this country at least, particularly mistaken or passed over, but it has occasioned, perhaps as we should rather say, it is connected with, indefinite, and often erroneous, conceptions of the mode in which the science should be studied. We proceed to verify these assertions by an examination of the most generally received definitions of the science. 1. First is the vulgar notion of the nature and objects of political economy. We shall not be wide of the mark if we state it to be something to this effect, that political economy is a science that teaches, or professes to teach, in what manner a nation may be made rich. This notion of what constitutes the science is in some degree countenanced by the title and arrangement which Adam Smith gave to his invaluable work, A Systematic treatise on Political Economy, he chose to call an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations, and the topics are introduced in an order suitable to that view of the purpose of his book. With respect to the definition of a question, if definition it can be called, which is not found in any set form of words, but left to be arrived at by a process of abstraction from a hundred current modes of speaking on the subject, it seems liable to the conclusive objection that it confounds the essential distinct though closely connected ideas of science and art. These two ideas differ from one another as the understanding differs from the will, or as the inductive mode in grammar differs from the imperative. The one deals in facts, the other in precepts. Science is a collection of truths, art a body of rules, or directions for conduct the language of science is this is or this is not this does or does not happen the language of art is do this avoid that science takes cognizance of a phenomenon and endeavors to discover its law art proposes to itself an end and looks out for means to effect it if therefore political economy be a science it cannot be a collection of practical rules though unless it be altogether a useless science, practical rules must be capable of being founded upon it. The science of mechanics, a branch of natural philosophy, lays down the laws of motion, and the properties of which are called the mechanical powers. The art of practical mechanics teaches how we may avail ourselves of those laws and properties to increase our command over external nature. An art would not be an art unless it were founded upon a scientific knowledge of the properties of the subject-matter. Without this, it would not be philosophy, but empiricism, Greek impera, not Greek techni. In Plato's sense, rules, therefore, for making a nation increase in wealth, are not a science, but they are the result of science. Political economy does not of itself instruct how to make a nation rich but whoever would be qualified to judge the means of making a nation rich, must first be a political economist. 2. The definition most generally received among instructed persons, and laid down in the commencement of most of the professed treatises on the subject, is to the following effect, that political economy informs us of the laws which regulate the production, distribution, and consumption of wealth. To this definition is frequently appended a familiar illustration. Political economy, it is said, is to the state what domestic economy is to the family. The definition is free from the fault which we pointed out in the former one. It distinctly takes notice that political economy is a science and not an art, that it is conversant with the laws of nature, not with the maxims of conduct, and teaches us how things take place of themselves, not in what manner it is advisable, for us to shape them, in order to attain some particular end. But though the definition is, with regard to this particular point, unobjectionable, so much can scarcely be said for the accompanying illustration, which rather sends back the mind to the current loose notion of political economy already disposed of. Political economy is really, and is stated in the definition to be, a science, But domestic economy, so far as it is capable of being reduced to principles, is an art. It consists of rules, or maxims of prudence, for keeping the family regularly supplied with what its wants require, and securing, with any given amount of means, the greatest possible quantity of physical comfort and enjoyment. Undoubtedly the beneficial result, the great practical application of political economy, would be to accomplish for a nation something like what the most perfect domestic economy accomplishes for a single household. But supposing this purpose realized, there would be the same difference between the rules by which it might be effected and political economy, which there is between the art of gunnery and the theory of projectiles, or between the rules of mathematical land-surveying and the science of trigonometry. The definition, though not liable to be the same, objection as the illustration which is annexed to it is itself far from unacceptable to neither of them considered as standing at the head of a treatise, have we much to object at a very early stage in the study of the science anything more accurate would be useless and therefore pedantic in a merely initiatory definition scientific precision is not required the object is to insinuate into the learner's mind it is scarcely material by what means some general preconception of what are the uses of the pursuit and what the series of topics through which he is about to travel as a mere anticipation or abashe of a definition intended to indicate to a learner as much as he is able to understand before he begins of the nature of what is about to be taught him we do not quarrel with the received formula but if it claims to be admitted as a complete definito the boundary line which results from a Thorough exploration of the whole extent of the subject, and is intended to mark the exact place of political economy among the sciences, its pretension cannot be allowed. The science of the laws which regulate the production, distribution, and consumption of wealth, the term wealth is surrounded by a haze of floating and vapory associations which will let nothing that is seen through them be shown distinctly. Let us supply its place by a paraphrase, wealth is defined all objects useful or agreeable to mankind except such as can be obtained in indefinite quantity without labor instead of all objects some authorities say all material objects the distinction is of no moment for the present purpose to confine ourselves to production If the laws of production of all objects, or even of all material objects, which are useful or agreeable to mankind, were comprised in political economy, it would be difficult to say where the science would end. At the least, all or nearly all physical knowledge would be included in it. Corn and cattle are material objects, in a high degree useful to mankind. The laws of production of the one include the principles of agriculture. The production of the other is the subject of the art of cattle breeding, which, far as really an art, must be built upon the science of physiology. The laws of the production of manufactured articles involve the whole of chemistry and the whole of mechanics. The laws of production of the wealth which is extracted from the bowels of the earth cannot be set forth without taking in a large part of geology. Where a definition so manifestly surpasses in extent what it professes to define, we must suppose that it is not meant to be interpreted literally, though the limitations with which it is to be understood are not stated. Perhaps it will be said that political economy is conversant with such only of the laws of the production of wealth as are applicable to all kinds of wealth, those which relate to the details of particular trades or employments, forming the subject of other and totally distinct sciences. If, however, there were no more in the distinction between political economy and physical science than this, the distinction, we may venture to affirm, would never have been made. No similar division exists in any other department of knowledge. We do not break up zoology or mineralogy into two parts one treating of the properties common to all animals or to all minerals, another conversant with the properties peculiar to each particular species of animal or minerals. The reason is obvious. There is no distinction in kind between the general laws of animal or of mineral nature and the peculiar properties of particular species. There is as close an analogy between the general laws and particular ones as there is between the one of the general laws and another most commonly. Indeed, the particular laws are but the complex result of a plurality of general laws modifying each other. A separation, therefore, between the general laws and the particular ones, merely because the former are general and the latter particular, would run counter both to the strongest motives of convenience, and to the natural tendencies of the mind. If the case is different with the laws of the production of wealth, it must be because in this case the general laws differ in kind from the particular ones. But if so, the difference in kind is the radical distinction and we should find out what that is, and found our definition upon it. But further, the recognized boundaries which separate the field of political economy from that of physical science, by no means correspond with the distinction between the truths which concern all kinds of wealth, and those which relate only to some kinds. In the three laws of motion, and the law of gravitation, are common, as far as human observation has yet extended, to all matter and these, therefore, as being among the laws of the production of all wealth, should form part of political economy. There are hardly any of the process of industry which do not partly depend upon the properties of the lever, but it would be a strange classification that included those properties among the truths of political economy. Again, the latter science has many inquiries altogether as special and relating as exclusively TO PARTICULAR SORTS OF MATERIAL OBJECTS AS ANY OF THE BRANCHES OF PHYSICAL SCIENCE. THE INVESTIGATION OF SOME OF THE CIRCUMSTANCES WHICH REGULATE THE PRICE OF CORN HAS AS LITTLE TO DO WITH THE LAWS COMMON TO THE PRODUCTION OF ALL WEALTH AS ANY PART OF THE KNOWLEDGE OF THE AGRICULTURALIST. THE inquiry INTO THE RENT OF MINES OR FISHERIES OR INTO THE VALUE OF THE PRECIOUS METALS ELICITS ITS TRUTHS WHICH HAVE IMMEDIATE REFERENCE TO THE PRODUCTION SOLELY OF A PARTICULAR KIND OF WEALTH yet these are admitted to be correctly placed in the science of political economy. The real distinction between political economy and physical science must be sought at something deeper than the nature of the subject matter, which indeed is for the most part common to both. Political economy and the scientific grounds of all useful arts have in truth one and the same subject matter, namely the objects which conduce the man's convenience and enjoyment but they are, nevertheless, perfectly distinct branches of knowledge. 3. If we contemplate the whole field of human knowledge, attained or attainable, we find that it separates itself obviously, and as it were spontaneously, into two divisions, which stand so strikingly in opposition and contradistinction to one another, that in all classifications of our knowledge they are kept apart. These are physical science, and moral or psychological science. The difference between these two departments of our knowledge does not reside in the subject matter with which they are conversant, for although, of the simplest and most elementary parts of each, it may be said, with an approach to truth, that they are concerned with different subject matters, namely, the one with the human mind, and the other with all things whatever except the mind. This distinction does not hold between the higher regions of the two. Take the science of politics, for instance, or that of law. Who will say that these are physical sciences, and yet it is not obvious that they are conversant fully as much with matter as with mind? Take again the theory of music, of painting, or any other of the fine arts, and who will venture to pronounce that the facts they are conversant with belong either wholly to the class of matter or wholly to that of mind. The following seems to be the rationale of the distinction between physical and moral science. In all the intercourse of man and nature, whether we consider him as acting upon it, or as receiving impressions from it, the effect of phenomena depends upon causes of two kinds, the properties of the object acting and those of the object acted upon everything which can possibly happen in which man and external things are jointly concerned results from the joint operation of a law or laws of matter and a law or laws of the human mind thus the production of corn by human labor is the result of a law of mind and many laws of matter the laws of matter are those properties of the soil and vegetable life which cause the seed to germinate in the ground, and those properties of the human body which render food necessary to its support. The law of mind is that man desires to possess substance, and consequently wills the necessary means of procuring it. Laws of mind and laws of matter are so dissimilar in their nature that it would be contrary to all principles of rational arrangement to mix them up as a part of the same study. In all scientific methods, therefore, they are placed apart. Any compound effect or phenomenon which depends upon the properties of matter and those of mind may thus become the subject of two completely distinct sciences, or branches of science, one treating of the phenomenon in so far as it depends upon the laws of matter only, the other treating of it in so far as it depends upon the laws of mind. The physical sciences are those which treat of the laws of matter, and of all complex phenomena, in so far as dependent upon the laws of matter. The mental or moral sciences are those which treat of the laws of mind, and of all complex phenomena, in so far as dependent upon the laws of mind. Most of the moral sciences presuppose physical science, but few of the physical sciences presuppose moral science. The reason is obvious. There are many phenomena, an earthquake, for example, or the motion of the planets, which depend upon the laws of matter exclusively, and have nothing whatever to do with the laws of mind. Many therefore of the physical sciences may be treated without any reference to mind, and as if the mind existed as a recipient of knowledge only, not as a cause producing effects. But there are no phenomena which depend exclusively upon the laws of mind even the phenomena of the mind itself being partially dependent upon the physiological laws of the body. All the mental sciences, therefore, not excepting the pure science of mind, must take account of a great variety of physical truths, and, as physical science is commonly and very properly studied first, may be said to presuppose them, taking up the complex phenomenon where physical science leaves them now this it will be found is a precise statement of the relation in which political economy stands to the various sciences which are tributary to the acts of production the laws of production of the objects which constitute wealth are the subject matter both of political economy and of almost all the physical sciences such therefore of those laws as are purely laws of matter belong to physical science and that exclusively such of them as are laws of the human mind and no others belong to political economy which finally sums up the result of both combined political economy therefore supposes all the physical sciences it takes for granted all such of the truths of those sciences as are concerned in the production of the objects demanded by the wants of mankind or at least it takes for granted that the physical part of the process takes place somehow it then ensures that the phenomena of mind which are concerned in the production and distribution begin footnote we say production and distribution not, as is usual with writers on this science, the production, distribution, and consumption. For we contend that political economy, was conceived by those very writers, has nothing to do with the consumption of wealth, further than as the consideration of it is inseparable from that of production or from that of distribution. We know not of any laws of the consumption of wealth, as the subject of a distinct science. They can be no other than the laws of human enjoyment. Political economists have never treated of consumption on its own account, but always for the purpose of the inquiry in what manner different kinds of consumption affect the production and distribution of wealth. Under the head of consumption, in professed treatises on the science, the following are the subjects treated. First, the distinction between productive and unproductive consumption. Second, the inquiry whether it is possible for too much wealth to be produced and for too great a portion of what has been produced to be applied to the purpose of further production. Third, the theory of taxation, that is to say, the following two questions, by whom each particular tax is paid, a question of distribution, and in what manner particular taxes affect production. Footnote. Of those same objects, it borrows from the pure science of mind the laws of those phenomena and inquiries that effects follow from these mental laws acting in concurrence with those physical ones. Begin footnote, The physical laws of the production of useful objects are all equally presupposed by the science of political economy most of them however it presupposes in the gross seeming to say nothing about them a few such for example as the decreasing ratio in which the production of the soil is increased by an increased application of labour it is obliged particularly to specify and thus seems to borrow those truths from the physical sciences to which they properly belong and include them among its own. footnote. From the above considerations, the following seems to come out as the correct and complete definition of political economy. The science which treats of the production and distribution of wealth, so far as they depend upon the laws of human nature, or thus, science relating to the moral or physiological laws of the production and distribution of wealth. For popular use this definition is amply sufficient, but it still falls short of the complete accuracy required for the purposes of the philosopher. Political economy does not treat of the production and distribution of wealth in all states of mankind, but only in what is termed the social state, nor so far as they depend upon the laws of human nature, but only so far as they depend upon a certain portion of those laws, Thus, at least, is the view which must be taken of political economy, if we mean it to find any place in an encyclopedical definition of the field of science. On any other view, it either is not science at all, or it is several sciences. This will appear clearly if on the one hand we take a general survey of the moral sciences, with a view to assign the exact place of political economy among them, while on the other we consider attentively the nature of the methods of processes by which the truths which are the object of those sciences are arrived at man who considered as a being having a moral mental nature is the subject-matter of all the moral sciences may with reference to that part of his nature form the subject of philosophical inquiry into several distinct hypotheses we may inquire what belongs to man considered individually, as if no man being existed besides himself, we may next consider him as coming into contact with other individuals, and finally as living in a state of society, that is, forming part of a body, or aggregation of human beings systematically cooperating for common purposes. Of this last state, political government, or subjection to a common superior, is an ordinary ingredient but forms necessarily part of the conception, and, with respect to our present purpose, needs not be further adverted to. Those laws of properties of human nature which appertain to man as a mere individual, and do not presuppose as a necessary condition the existence of other individuals, except perhaps as mere instruments or means, form a part of the subject of pure mental philosophy. They comprise all the laws of the mere intellect and those of purely self-regarded desires those laws of human nature which relate to the feelings called forth in a human being by other individual humans or intelligent beings as such namely the affections the conscience or the feeling of duty and the love of approbation and to the conduct of man so far as it depends upon or has relation to these parts of his nature form the subject of another portion of pure mental philosophy, namely, that portion of it on which morals or ethics are founded. For morality itself is not a science but an art, not truths but rules. The truths on which the rules are founded are drawn, as is the case in all arts, from a variety of sciences, but the principle of them and those which are most nearly peculiar to this particular art belong to a branch of the science of mind. Finally, there are certain principles of human nature which are peculiarly connected with the ideas and feelings generated in a man by living in a state of society, that is, by forming part of a union of aggregation of human beings for a common purpose or purposes. Few, indeed, of the elementary laws of the human mind are peculiar to this state, almost all being called into action in the other two states. But those simple laws of human nature operating in that wider field give rise to results of a sufficiently universal character, and even, when compared with the still more complex phenomena of which we are the determining causes, sufficiently simple, to admit of being called, though in a somewhat looser sense, laws of society or laws of human nature in the social state. These laws or general truths from the subject of a branch of science which may be aptly designated from the title of social economy, somewhat less happily by that of speculative politics, or the science of politics, as contradistinguished from the art. This science stands in the same relation to the social as anatomy and physiology to the physical body. It shows by what principles of his nature man is induced to enter into a state of society, how this feature of his position acts upon his interests and feelings, and through them upon his conduct, how the association tends progressively to become closer, and the cooperation extends itself to more and more purposes, what those purposes are, and what the varieties of means most generally adopted for furthering them what are the various relations and which establish themselves among human beings as the ordinary consequence of the social union what those which are different in different states of society in what historical order those states tend to succeed one another and what are the effects of each upon the conduct and character of man this branch of science whether we prefer to call it social economy speculative politics or the natural history of society presupposes the whole science of nature, of the individual mind, since all the laws of which the latter science takes cognizance are brought into play in a state of society, and the truths of the social science are but statements of the manner in which those simple laws take effect in complicated circumstances. Pure mental philosophy, therefore, is an essential part, or preliminary, of political philosophy, the science of social economy embraces every part of man's nature, in so far as influencing the conduct or condition of man in society, and therefore it may be termed speculative politics, as being the scientific foundation of practical politics or the art of government, of which the art of legislation is a part. (Begin footnote: The science of legislation is an incorrect and misleading expression.) Legislation is making laws. We do not talk of the science of making anything. Even the science of government would be an objectionable expression, were it not that government is often loosely taken to signify not the act of governing, but the state or condition of being governed, or of living under a government. A preferable expression would be the science of political society a principal branch of the more extensive science of society, characterized in the text. End End of Essay 5, Part 1